Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle, companies and market show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and I am joined today by Megan Boxall. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, John. Excellent. And Algie Hall. How are you, Algie? Very good. Very good. Smiling. Smiling in the face of adversity. <laughs> <laughs> Go keep our spirits up. It's been a very exciting week, hasn't it? It has. Very mm. exciting. Yeah. Or has it? I can't work it out. Oh, very. Exciting. I mean, you know, read think... the headlines Monday, Tuesday, you thought the world was ending. It's relative, you know? isn't it? It's been so <laughs> calm for so long. Something happens and everyone's, ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's madness. We're going to talk a bit about, well, I guess we're going to come on to that, but in a sort of roundabout way. What's been happening on the markets this week? Big sell off, bit of recovery, bit of whipsaw market activity, volatility spiking. Mm-hmm. Wow. Volatility, you know, you don't expect to hear that on the six o'clock news, do you, really? <laughs> There you go. There you go. There you go. And uh, then we're going to talk to Simon Thompson uh, about his uh, his column uh, this week. I mean, let's, so the, the reason I've got Algie and, and Megan, both of you here today, is because I think we're going to focus. We're going to really drill down this week onto two pieces that you've written. Megan, the sex focus, which is about big tech. Uh, and most of that big tech is obviously American. And Algie, you've written on the same subject, coincidentally. Yes. It's yeah. very serendipitous. It is. Serendipitous. Great minds think alike and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the great minds... someone just copied my idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't get precious about our... our uh, you know, we're a team, Megan. Yeah. We're a team. <laughs> that was unnecessary. Actually. Yes. Well, uh, anyway, so, so, so basically you've written about tech and the challenges it faces. And the reason that this is important in the context of the broad market is that these companies, as you've noted before, LG account for a very large... We're talking about Amazon, Facebook, Netflix. They account for a massive proportion of the US market. Yeah, no, it's, it's really short. It's all, almost a quarter of the S&P 500, I think. I mean, it's I insane. It's insane. So when they're doing well... The S&P 500 does well yes, when they're doing yeah. badly. And, and, and also, um, given that what an important um, part of global indices the US is, you can um, say you know, something similar for um, the actual world indices, which we look at as well, that they have a significant influence on that. In, indeed. And, and so, so I, guess, I guess the reason why we're so interested in these companies, despite being a UK publication, is that they do exert a massive influence on the whole global investing landscape absolutely um and both of you have reasons to be worried about them or have expressed some concerns in this week's magazine let's start with the sector focus megan okay u.s tech yeah too big not to fail or is it yeah. that's a little question mark there at the end yeah it is a, it is a question so, well so talk us through the, jo- the general uh theme running through the well, sector focus i was looking at all of the uh the the earnings so all of the five FANG stocks, which is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google or Alphabet, um, had their. We can never. We, can, we don't seem to be able to get this that right. In the, incidentally. Yeah, because <laughs> you can't call them FANG stocks with a G and not have Google in there, even though Google. FANG. <laughs> You can put an M in there too, can't you? Yeah, you can. For Microsoft, it's this yeah. horrible acronym. Do they yeah, care? Yeah, horrible. No, no. No, they don't care. No. Come on, carry on. Sorry. Um, they have had their results, or they had them last week, and yeah, it was uh, just going through the the results, which were generally very good. Most of the share prices did very well. This was before all the palaver at the start of this week, um, and yeah, most most of the numbers looked great, but there are lots of things and. Algae has shared these feelings as well that sort of are overhanging US tech at the moment. They, they have just got so big and 
there's been so much evidence in the in the past of companies and industries which have, have got too big have been regulated, have been split up. Amazon and arguably Google and Facebook are sort of ticking towards that. Well, well, Microsoft, I mean, you mentioned them. They're not, obviously not one of the, what, what are classically now defined as the fang stocks. Yeah. But Microsoft in the ni- late 90s, 2000s, yeah. I can't remember what it was, but they, they, were, they were targeted yeah. by yeah. antitrust regula- regulators, particularly in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and this is the concern now. Yeah, so that's, and that's what I mentioned, that Microsoft was, was regulated when it was doing incredibly well, when it looked untouchable, when the internet was rising and Microsoft was sort of pioneering that, the, the initial internet boom. Well, Microsoft, I think Microsoft was, was more about that it basically controlled everybody's PCs. Mm-hmm. You know, so to get onto the internet, you had to have a PC. Yeah. To, if you had a PC, you had a Microsoft operating system. Yeah, and that is exactly the same problem that's now facing Google and Facebook. To, I mean, we use Google as a verb. I, I, like, I was really struggling to define what, what to use to, like, to say to Google without saying to Google because we use to Google. <laughs> yeah, but where, where exactly, where are you searching? You're searching on Google. You're always... Well, you might be using Ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Ask Jeeves is great. I loved Ask Jeeves. Yeah. So, so the point is that these companies have become very large, mm-hmm. exert a massive influence on, on society mm. almost, and, and certainly a number of industries, particularly the advertising industry, which you talk about specifically. Yeah, so the advertising industry is really interesting because... It's so much of advertising now is digital um, because why wouldn't you advertise digitally when it can reach so many more people and it can really target specific populations as well with digital advertising and Facebook and Google account for so much of that and it, it's just it's become really tough for, for places where advertisers well people you tr- traditionally advertise um, because of the, these two companies dominance um, but there is now the argument that because they've got so big there's going to be some sort of regulation and Facebook is already feeling a lot of pressure because um, it's not really people don't like social media at the moment there Facebook has has annoyed people it is it's been accused of causing mental health problems in young in young adults it's been accused of promoting fake news and terrorist ideas and because it is is doing that, people aren't necessarily going to be using Facebook as much, and then as a result, people aren't going to be advertising on Facebook as much, and that's but, where it gets all its revenue from. But, they, but, but actually, I mean, you know, whatever criticisms you throw at these companies, that you talk about it in your piece, the network effect that they have means that actually everyone uses them, mm. so the advertisers mm. will keep using them. Yeah, uh, but they control the market. Yeah. And that, and that, I think, is the, the worry of the regulator. You, you, Algie, you talk in your piece, in your further reading piece. This is what yeah, innovation. Well, that's, that's, I, I should say it's not. Should... It's not my piece because it's just uh, um, pulling together some it's got comment your photo which on it. fits together. But my photo goes on it, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, let's, uh, sorry. Let's let's quickly rewind. Further reading. So basically, there's so much stuff out there. Yeah, you, you had the the, the uh, inspired idea to, to start rounding this up. Some of the views well, that are out in the market. Yeah, and, it's, and... it's it pulls together um, some of the stuff that um, I or we've been reading, which is publicly available, so people can read a bit about what we've been reading in, in, in these pieces and then go off and find the whole, you know, the, the whole piece themselves. And often, though, they're very long pieces, so maybe there's a service in summarising well, a single th- page what's well, it, available in the hundreds otherwise. Indeed, thanks to social media, we only have an attention span of 180 <laughs> characters. <laughs> so well done, LG. You're, uh, um, but, but this piece that you've uh, looked at this week is, in fact, a speech by George Soros. 
Well, that, that's that's um, how I lead in. Well, I mean, there's so many, like Megan has said, so many people have been um, talking about the evils, essentially, of um, social media and IT monopolies. Um, that um, you know, there's a lot of comment you could draw on, but um, I, that George Soros did it, gave them a real broadside at Davos in his speech. So I, I, um, there's. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd start my further reading piece with um, one of the, his most um, uh, pith, pithy and venomous comments. Like George Soros <laughs> to be pithy and venomous. <laughs> Said um, Davos is a good place to announce that their days, meaning their meaning the, the IT monopolies as he calls them, are numbered. Um, regulation and taxation will be their undoing. So. Um, He's 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 and then he's basically set out the case of how they're anti-competitive and how they could really um you know destroy the fabric of society essentially. Yeah, I'm, I've got to admit I'm no fan of social media. I think it's actually this is being debated in Parliament this week. You know, on online trolling and attacks on on politicians and in fact attacks on anyone in the public limelight. Katie Price, I think she makes a good point, which is something I re- have never ever said before about Katie Price. Mm. But she makes a very good point that, that, that it's disgusting some of the behaviour that that takes yeah. place on these people. Just hide behind a hide behind the screen, hide behind their online persona. And it's as if the people who they are trolling aren't real. And it's just awful. And that's unfortunately what has been aided by these social media networks, which which allow allow these online trolls. And the fact that they they are now receiving criticism for it, it isn't good for the for their future. Which is why Facebook this week has decided that it's going to overhaul its its uh, news feed to make sure that we're not having any of this nonsense anymore in the news feed. But then people what, are worried. So, which means nonsense? Fake news? Fake news. Yeah, but who, could, who defines what's fake news? But also people, the ability... I, 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 sorry, I'm, I just don't get that. Who defines what's fake news? Because so much news today is just opinion. I've forgotten why I heard this point of view, but... Um... I, I heard someone describing essentially the clients of um, these social media groups or the face, Facebook um, type, you know, news creators as being the advertisers. So the news they're presenting and they're kind of pushing are things which people naturally, you know, gravitate towards and read, which are the, you know, well, the click, shock click, headlines. Clickbait. Yeah, and, and, and also um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure as in this context, I think it was a podcast I was listening to using that old phrase, if, if, it, if it bleeds, it leads. So it's kind of... These um, events, which are very shocking, but really don't tell you anything about, um, you know, the, the big picture. They're kind of one-off sh- shock events, which um, would just get people clicking. And, often, which is and, what, and the which... easiest way to create a shock event is just to make something up. And then that's someone true, clicks it's... on it, you get the advertising revenue. You know, it's, it's, it, you know that's the way um, that market works. But actually, for the person who uses it. It um, doesn't actually give them what they want or should want, I well, suppose. I have to say, I, th- <laughs> I, think, I think this week's uh, smallish sell-off <laughs> fits that, that definition quite, quite interestingly, you know, quite, quite accurately. Because yeah, the more hysterical you can be. It was a massive market the... event. You know, oh, there, was, yeah. there were a couple of VIX-based volatility ETFs that, that, that went tits up. But, but the reality was, it was a very smallish correction. There's been a bit of a recovery, and the, but the headlines... For, yeah, not, for, for most that. of us. I mean, I, I suppose I suppose there are um, interesting aspects to it, which is there are lots of reasons for thinking there could be something far more serious we'll that come on to actually that. may happen. And also, in, inside that, what did happen with those short VIX funds from... Um, what didn't from the outside didn't seem like you know very much going on at all. The fact that these massive funds collapsed, 
you you kind of think, well, you know, do these um, financial products, which everyone's been talking about as being dangerous, are they really a danger? Because, you know, they obviously are very fragile. Well, Carl, Carl Icahn, and I mentioned this in my editorial, yeah. We, yeah. we are straying away from the topic of tech, but we will come back to it. Carl Icahn, as I mentioned in my editorial, he's saying basically these, these derivative product, products are dangerous uh, and they could actually precipitate a market crash. We've seen fault lines this week. Rumbles of something that might be mm-hmm. a he- Carl Icahn used it. Yes, um, I, th- I think he's got. I think he's got a point. But but you know what? I, going back to the tech stuff, hyperbole dominated this week. Mm-hmm. Fake news or hyperbole, it's kind mm-hmm. of the same thing. Yeah. But who defines it? I mean, George Soros' specific point is about is about monopoly pa- the monopoly advertising power yeah. of, of some of the big platforms. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's what that's the point I pulled out. My his speech was far more wide ranging. But yes. But that, I, mean, I think that's a salient thing for investors. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, sure, because that is where Google and um, and Facebook make, or Facebook, yeah, that's the only place they make their money from. And yeah, if if it's that, if it's them being regulated and, and that is certainly something that is looming, but also the fact that Amazon and Netflix are now considering putting ads around their TV content. And that, that would be huge because everyone uses, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are using Amazon and Netflix now to watch their watch TV that that's competition which would actually be good for Google and Facebook in terms of the regulation if if they do start facing some competition regulators might take a step back and say actually they don't have a monopoly anymore but in terms of where the growth is coming from it does look like there are going to be difficulties for these advertising platforms I I think that's true Um, I mean we talked about this yesterday you know regulating a market and advertising is a market yeah I can see how how regulators around the world antitrust uh, law could could look at that and actually do something to to change the, the, the dominance these companies have in those markets. Regulating content, regulating user driven content. I don't see how they can do that. No, I well, yeah, it would be tough. But I mean, what they promote, I, I imagine. But I mean, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I it's, no a, it's a brave new world. And, but, I mean, and, I, and I guess the point that, that we, you know, going back to the, the market, the, the broader market, is that. If these companies come under attack from regulators, then it then it has a potentially yeah, massive effects on the whole of the global market. Well, absolutely, yeah. The margins probably inevitably fall if they if they you know do the right thing. I say it you know in inverted commas, commas or if they're made to do the right thing, even worse. And then also, a regulated company, how do you price that? You don't price it like you price um, Facebook or Google at the moment. Mm. You um you know it's it's a far more pedestrian type of being in terms of um the investment returns one would expect mm. yeah yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah and amazon is another one not in the advertising space but amazon's definitely getting getting evil glares for its being so big and being so dominant and and hurting the consumer market and the fact that now you don't buy can't buy cheap books on amazon anymore because amazon doesn't need to make its books cheap it's the only place that sells it I mean, I, yeah i was thinking about this I mean, I, I've often thought about Amazon and uh, thought, oh, God, you, you swine. Uh, and then obviously... My, <laughs> Did you use that uh, word? To all- <laughs> what, in my own head, yeah, <laughs> I used it. <laughs> but proceeded to use them to buy pretty much everything yeah, I ever buy. Yeah, because there isn't um, anywhere else. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, my, my view of Amazon, uh, they, might, they might object to this, but I remember when they, when they were smallish... Uh, you know, and started selling in books and then and then music. You know, they 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 they, they were the cheapest. Yeah. And companies like H and V or Waterstones basically faced just this, this onslaught of price competition to the point where they couldn't survive anymore, and and they disappeared. Mm-hmm. So now you can't walk down. You know, you can't walk home. 
casually pick up a CD on the way home from work. Um, you have to go to Amazon, who will deliver it the next day. Great. But, uh, but they're not cheap anymore. No, exactly. Because they don't need to be. Because they've got no competition. And they've done that in books and music. And now they've started going into, into food. And yeah, it's only early stage. But I mean, if it does the same thing as it did with books and music, then all our food's going to get more expensive in the future. The, healthcare as well. Healthcare, healthcare, I think, is interesting. Healthcare is interesting. Did you say, I mean, is this, what, is, this, you know, is this a kind of PR move? Well, this is what I point out when in, in, this, uh, in my article this week. I mean, the timing is very, very odd. Like, does it? It looks like they're trying to butter up the politicians at a time when they might need a little bit of uh, of backing from uh, from people who who arguably could regulate them, could force them to split up. So, by taking on healthcare, which is arguably the most hated industry in America, especially at the moment, Amazon it's the most is loved industry in Britain, <laughs> incidentally, uh, except by Donald Trump. Yeah. Who <laughs> I mean, interesting though the, um, the whole Amazon thing it touches on um, there's a, which is also mentioned in the further reading piece there's a whole wider debate in the, especially in the US about the concentration of power this idea that um, returns are higher for companies now and more consistent because there's too much monopoly power and it's coming these higher corporate profits are coming at the expense of um, the, you know the man on the street and investment in, in, um, in business so, um, so I mean, that, it, it's not only the antitrust stuff isn't only to do with um, big tech. It's kind of, there's a, there's a wider debate as well, which is you know very interesting. Well, we're doing a big property piece next week. Jonas is, uh, Jonas Crossan has written it, and you know, uh, for example, UK retail property. I mean, it's it's it's, it's in mm. real trouble, and you know that has to be directly linked to the Amazon effect. Mm. Has to be. Um, Even though Amazon say they only have a very small amount of the UK market share, Amazon don't. They don't split out. They have US and rest of the world in their in their results. And they say they've only got a really small proportion of the UK retail share. But I, I mean, I just don't even I don't know if that's true because everyone uses Amazon. And, yeah, and in my in my house, when I was doing my tax return, which I do for my bank statements or Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> we get an Amazon delivery every couple man. of days just because you can just because it's free and it arrives within the net, within a day. Okay, so I guess the million dollar question, billion, trillion, whatever, uh, is, you know, I mean, do we like these companies? Are we are we so, I mean, we have in the past yeah. been very supportive of these shares. I mean, they are great growth stories yeah. as the market currently stands, as, as the regulatory environment currently stands. Are we sticking to that? I mean, I think there's reason to be wary. Um, yeah, they they have grown just so fast, so 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 well, and now they're, they are incredibly impressive companies, but... Yeah, they they are also very expensive, and if the markets are starting to turn, then I don't know if you want to be in in big tech. Uh, the one that we do like is Apple. I I still really think Apple is is a good company, and it has got a bit more competition than than the other four. It's not going to be as heavily hit if there are changes in the antitrust laws. And yeah, its results weren't fantastic. Its new iPhone. I mean, it seems like it's just too expensive and not as many people want to buy it. But it's got so much cash. I mean, it could buy every single UK company apart from Shell just with its cash. It it can it can spend yeah, that cash. I've never heard that yeah, before. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? That is crazy. Yeah. Um, and if it isn't going to acquire something, then 
investors are going to get a nice dividend. So. It, you know, it sort of reminds me of like those sort of dystopian science fiction films that, that you uh, you see, like you know, Blade Runner, the Tyrell Corporation, which basically <laughs> controls the world. I mean, it's kind of, is this, this, yeah. this is what people are actually genuinely now and, worrying about and, and, and <laughs> controls all our data as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Amazon, Amazon's got all our data in the cloud, and that's the bit that I suppose if they, someone was going to come down hard on Amazon, that's the bit that they could make them split off. That's the bit that's profitable, and. Amazon would struggle to expand as fast as it has done without the profits that come from its cloud computing business. Mm. Yes, indeed. Mm. But I making don't... companies spin stuff off is not as easy as uh, no. as as we would uh, like it to be. BT, mm. which you've written well, about this week as yes. well, haven't you? Yeah, BT. That I mean, it should be easy to make BT spin off OpenReach. It's crazy that it hasn't. But I think the reason for that is the massive pension scheme and all the millions of people in the UK that rely on it. And yeah. if it doesn't have open reach, BT's just going to really struggle and then there's going to be lots of people without their pensions. Maybe, maybe, maybe in Britain we're just rubbish at monopolies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should, we, uh, should we talk to Simon? Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I, I'm doing very well. It's, it's beautiful here on the Kent coast. Absolutely sunny, very, very cool, but a beautiful day. Good lucky you. I know. <laughs> just, rub it, just rubbing it in, John. Yeah, yeah, no, th- thanks, Simon. Thanks, Simon. So, you know, uh, it's, well, it's good to have you on the phone. It's good to get the comedy double act back together. <laughs> <laughs> well, well so, some people liked it last week, seemingly, so... Uh... Appar- apparently so. My favourite comment of all time on the website. So. <laughs> i tell you what, let's start with uh, one Algie and Megan here. The markets. What, what do you make of it all? I think it's good that the froth that's within the market has been taken off that the emerging market indices were up 11-12% in January at one point, which is, sorry, that's year-to-date. The S&P 500 was up the best part, 7.5%. It had its best January um, since 1987, I think, uh, up over 5%. Obviously, rates of increase of that magnitude in such a short space of time is not sustainable. So it's actually good for um, some of the frost to actually come off and people to revisit the fundamentals behind investing um, and look at where the market is in terms of earnings expectations and earnings growth. Um, but basically, it's a Wall Street thing that um, and always is, that you know, when Wall Street sneezes, the rest of us catch a cold, and that's what you've seen here. Ultimately, I think when the dust settles and people reassess um, where they think interest rates in the US are going and expectations of the bond yield curve, um, that you know, this this might just be a blip in the overall bull market. You th- so, you, so you think this could be, this little little pullback could be uh, actually a buying opportunity then? Um, it certainly is for some of the companies I'm following, that basically everything got dragged down um, altogether and, um, and unjustifiably so for many, for many companies. Um, that, I mean, of course, you know, if the US is going to increase interest rates more times this year than people expected, then you've got to take that into account. Um, but equally, with the steepening of the yield curve, you know, 10-year bond yields are close to 3%. Um, you've already had a tightening of monetary policy because in the US, that, that filters straight through to fixed-rate mortgages, given that swap rates are actually priced off um, US treasuries. Um, so maybe, you know, the expectations of one extra rate increase won't, won't actually happen because you've already had this monetary tightening. Okay. I mean, are you not worried? I know that, I mean, both both Algie and Megan have, have written features in the last few months talking about, you know, worries around the kind of 
fragility of the market, uh, you know, so, some excessive valuations perhaps creeping in. I mean, are you not worried beyond the interest rate uh, cycle? Are you not worried about, about the, the ratings being put on some of these companies? I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, especially when you look at the technology sector. Um, you know, for example, I, I put the readers into Manchester and London Investment Trust last 12 months ago for the bargain shares. And, you know, that, that trust is uh, the best part of 65 to 66%. And that is down to its technology bias. Half of the trust is actually in the FANG stocks in the US. Um, and then when you look at the underlying case for each each one of those, then it's, it's quite hard to justify some of the valuations there. But... It's not across the board, is what, what I'd say. The, the, the segments that I look at at the markets that I still see value opportunities in, and um, that, that's a reason to stay invested. It's def- definitely staying invested, but is it, a t- is it a time to buy? Um, it's a time to bargain hunt, um, and w- which is what I think I've been doing in this week's columns. So, yeah, it, it, you know, selective buying that... You know, last year I took money off the table in certain companies that the share prices had doubled, trebled, quadrupled, and I advised readers to sell uh, two-thirds of the holding and run the rest for free. And um, and in many cases, that was the right thing to do. So, I mean, I, I remember actually taking money off the table in Cineworld, not, not a company I'd normally actually invest in because it's outside my small cap remit. But a few years ago, I spotted the CEO and... Um, other directors actually buying and um, the shares doubled and you know back in may i thought yeah the, the rating is high enough it might go a bit higher but take money off the table and um you know several companies i i follow i, I recommended that so people should have cash in the sidelines to to basically take advantage of you know these short-term buying opportunities i mean the thing is that pullbacks corrections are just the norm in bull markets the fact that the S&P 500 uh, went 400 plus trading days without a 5% pullback. It's pretty unprecedented. And that then led people to start taking positions on volatility, in effect, selling volatility because they didn't think we'd ever have a spike. And one of the reasons why you have such dramatic moves in the markets in the last week is because um, people that basically short of volatility, got absolutely smashed. And then you had algorithmic trades going through the markets, punishing them even further. Um, you know, the, the VIX index went from roughly around 10 to 50 at one point. Um, so anyone that's actually short of the VIX was absolutely hammered. This was the point that uh, the Carl Icahn was making that I mentioned earlier, that he, he, he basically doesn't like these derivative products. And he thinks lots of people are, uh, are in instruments which, which, which potentially have sort of the, 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 uh, the possibility of contagion. I guess that I guess his worry, and mine too, um, is that combined with this whole value, you know, these big important companies being very expensive, you, you have these this kind of interlinkedness in the market, which potentially has has the potential to create these catastrophic domino effects. Oh, it does, and uh, the the other thing is that obviously as valuations get more extended, um, then any spike in volatility from low levels. Uh, will have a more dramatic effect than, say, two, three, four, five years ago, um, which is why you, you saw, you know, the largest drop in Wall Street points terms for the Dow Jones this week in, it, in, although, in one day. Although it was quite small in the grand scheme of crashes, as, uh, as oh, Algae has explored before in uh, The Anatomy of a Crash that you wrote. Uh... <laughs> well, 
Well, the, the, the other thing, John, is that you've got to put this into perspective. I'm looking at the screen at the moment, and the S&P 500 started the year at 2,672. Um, according, it's just opened now, and um, from Thursday, and it's above that level. So, yes, we've had a correction, but the U.S. market is still up. Yeah, well, in- indeed, indeed, uh, and, and you know, as I as I wrote last week, McCoppocking indicators are all still staying by. So, you know, for a lot of these markets, even though they look quite expensive, I, I, I. As I explained last week, I think the momentum is starting to wane, however. Um, I, I, I think the power of the upward moves in those indices is definitely fading. Definitely. Oh, no, I agree with you there. I mean, you, you can't expect markets to rise, you know, 3 4 5% a month continuously. I mean, that's just stupid. Um, and when they do, then it just increases the risk that you'll have these pullbacks, which we've seen this week. Um, but also you've, you've got to take into account also that the outlook for the global economy is actually pretty positive. Um, and, you know, we've been wanting inflation for some time and now we've actually got it. So we're normalizing interest rate policies so that the world is actually coming back to where it should have been, you know, well, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Um, so that, that's actually positive in the scheme of things. Um, no, I, I still think it's, you know, it's a buying opportunity for selective, for selective companies. Well, we were all quite gloomy in the office, and, and you're obviously down on the Kent coast feeling much more optimistic. Maybe, maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's the environment. Um, <laughs> maybe it's a different perspective completely. <laughs> and setting back and not, not getting involved completely in, you know, what, what's going across the computer screen every minute. And... Um, um, and taking, you know, a, a more—I'm not going to say rational approach, but you know, a more sensible approach to what's actually happened. Well, you, you kind of filtering out the noise, which is what we were talking about earlier, with you know, fake fake news or you know, the hyperbole of, of the kind of the, the kind of market commentary that's been happening over the last few days. Well, I mean, the thing is that which um, I think it was on Wednesday last week after we went to press, Bank of America who've got this bull bear indicator came out with a sale um, warning on the markets and you know, within a few days that happened uh, last Friday with the wage figures in the US um, and but, but equally other, other big banks and Wall Street have you know, done the same but they're not calling for a bear market they were just calling for a normal correction um, and whether or not you stay invested in the market now is dependent on whether or not you believe what we've seen this week is actually the start of the bear market or whether it's just a normal bull market correction. And for the time being, I'm, I'm going with the latter. Okay. So I think we have time for one, uh, one update from your, uh, from your column this week. What, what are you going to pick? Um, I had a really interesting conversation with um, the chief executive of um, WH Ireland, a small cap breaking house and cli- private client wealth manager, um, They've been restructuring and taking costs out of the business and transferring their platform uh, to a third party um, that basically administers over £2.9 billion of assets under management. And as a result of that, their operating profits before exceptionals in the last year was roughly £400,000 and £28 million worth of revenue. What wasn't disclosed in the release, which I got from Richard Kellingback, the chief executive, is that in the current financial year, we expect to make annual cost savings of £2 million. Um, roughly half a million pounds of that is margin improvements by transferring about £150 million of 
advisory assets under management across to high margin discretionary ones. There's another half a million pounds through the absence of non-recurring charges. Same again from absence of double counting overheads, which they saw last year. Um, and balance basically reflects personnel and cost savings and compliance. Um, I mean, the bottom line is here is that the company has taken out the costs. Um, Mr. Killingbeck says WH Island is still too small. Um, it's got two very supportive shareholders uh, behind it who control roughly 45% of the equity who've just supported a small fundraise. So it's got 30 million cash in the bank, no doubt. Um, market cap, £36 million. Um, it's got a corporate breaking business that, on its own, segmental profits about a million pounds a year. Um, I can see two scenarios unfolding here. Either the company's going to make a series of bolt-on acquisitions and a strong return to profitability on the private client side, and that's going to drive the share price re-rating, or it's going to become a big target. Um, I can't see the share price being... Um, 135, which is roughly where it is at the moment, 36 million market cap um, in 12 months' time. Something's going to happen here. Um, I've got a target price of 175, which is below what brokers have in the stock. Um, I don't think that's unrealistic on a sum of parts basis. Um, and also the cash backing on the balance sheets. You know, the, the corporate broking arm's got to be worth something alone. The valuation here is very, very, very attractive. Okay. Interesting. And obviously you've written about, I think, three other companies in this week's column. I would encourage readers to get the magazine and, uh, and have, have a read of those. But uh, thank you, Simon. I'll leave you to enjoy the uh, Kent coast and the sunshine. Absolutely. And you, you have a good weekend as well. You too. Speak soon. Okay. Well, let's just round up uh, what else we've got in the mag. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't bring you into that discussion about the... Uh, that's okay. About the markets as much as I would Simon like to. Simon covered it very well. He did cover it. He, well, that's Simon for you, isn't mm-hmm. it? As I say, he, he is... Uh, I'd love to know whether he's got the numbers on a screen or if they're just in his head. They're in his head. They're in his head. He's, he's Simon, Simon is a genius. <laughs> and I, you know, Megan, I don't dish out praise very much. No, I was going to say, whoa, John, what's going on? <laughs> let's, uh, let's quickly turn to the results section. I know you've written a couple of interesting ones this week uh, with your other hat on, your farmer hat. Yeah. Well, not farm, farmer, <laughs> pharmaceutical hat. Yes. Glaxo and Astra have both reported this week. Yeah, they were interesting. Um, I- interesting, if only because neither of them uh, were able to get analysts to update their forecast, which is really strange. Yeah. There, well, there there are a few now, but I mean, big pharma is it's a funny one. The analysts don't seem to be really like quick to update their numbers. But then, should you be looking at analyst forecasts when you're assessing the value in a pharma company? In I'd pi- say no. Pipeline. You look yeah. at the pipeline. You look at which has got a better pipeline, and of those two, it's definitely AstraZeneca. Okay. And what's that? What are our views on those companies? Astra, we we say buy Astra and sell GSK. Wow, sell GSK. Yeah, because it's only a matter of time before they're going to cut their dividend because they just can't afford it. And they've said they're going to keep it at ATP this year, but that's only the quote was something to do with as long as there isn't anything else that comes along. It wasn't exactly those words, but and the other thing that might come along is Pfizer's consumer health business, which they've said they they've made an offer for, um, and that's going to cost about fifteen billion dollars and. If that is what they want to do, then they're not going to be able to afford the afford the dividend, and that is kind of priced in. The price, share price has been completely hammered this year, um, but I think there'll be a bigger fall if if they do cut the dividend. No, oh yeah, well, they certainly didn't pop up in your uh, reliable income screen this year, Glaxo or Astra for that matter. No, no, they weren't there. So yeah, yeah. Algae, I mean, 
we don't often get a chance to talk about the soft screens, but let's talk. This is a good one. People like reliable uh, income. Yeah, this this is a good one. But the, the thing is, is I originally called it the inflation beaters um, stock screen, and obviously now yeah, when, there was none. And well, there hasn't. Yeah, there wasn't any for six years, and 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 now suddenly. Um, Sunny though it is, it is kind of more topical because I mean, they, with you know talking about the um, what's happened this week with the markets, really, the, as Simon mentioned, the trigger with that was those wage numbers and people being paranoid that um, inflation is going to be far more significant than any anyone's been given it, giving it credit for. But um, these um, the the actual screen itself. Um, does quite a good job of picking picking what are known as bond proxies, who, <laughs> who would be um, if you know most a lot of people think they they would really be hurt by inflation. We got what you would call a bond proxy in the tip section this week, which is which yes. has suffered. Yeah. People have been yeah. worried about about the prospects of of these bond proxies, and uh, yeah, and we uh, think those worries are overplayed essentially. Simon has you know alluded to the reasons why you don't necessarily need to panic about what what's happened, which, and you know one of which is that. Interest rates really still are really very low, but the fear is they'll go a lot higher than people expect, and then people will be, um, you know, reassessing how they value. Um, this screen comes back with um, some 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 of them are, but you know, classic bond proxies. I'd, I'd say like um, you know, Diageo is one that stands out, but then others are more domestically focused. So um, people are you know a lot less keen on them, like Whitbread, which. Um, by historic standards, looks very good value at the I was moment. I was going to say, is this, is this a Brexit thing? Are they yeah, cheap? Um, because people are worried about the, the impact of leaving the EU on the U- UK economy. It's, it's slightly, yeah, it's, I mean, it's slightly that, that kind of Brexit consumery thing. And, it, and then it's also just, you know, the hotel um, cycle. It's people get their confidence back, hoteliers get their confidence back and start building hotels, opening new rooms, which means can't push up room prices so much anymore, even though occupancy is good. And then... Ultimately, occupancy falls away, and you've got loads of supply, and it all goes horrible. But um, at, at the moment, we're not at the final stage, but we are quite far into the hotel cycle, so um, it's harder to push up the prices of rooms. So that's that's Whitbread. Yeah, that's yeah. What's their chain? I can never remember which one it is. Premier Inn. Premier is Premier yeah, Inn. Yeah, yeah. they're expanding yeah. to Germany though. That's where they're getting. They're trying to eke out better growth. They're apparently underserved budget hotel market. Oh, there you go. Who would have thought it? Uh, I, I must admit, uh, looking down that list of uh, how many you got there? Eight, seven, 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 companies, seven shares. The UK's most boring company since they're involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. We but, love um, yeah, boring bundle. Boring bundle has had a very good run really for isn't that right maybe maybe, yeah. maybe it was um yeah no no it is it's had an incredible run absolutely so, incredible. um yeah that's benefited from the whole bond proxy yeah i remember story. the days when they used to describe capita as boring oh yeah or it's, defen- it's, defensive growth yeah <laughs> neither neither is true anymore it <laughs> certainly seems. not boring bundle well, yeah. is boring well, right, yeah. sorry bundle <laughs> <laughs> boring is good boring is good we like boring mm. Let's call it a day. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Algie. Quickly talk you through what else we've got in the magazine. Getting a bit busy on the results front. It it's is, going to get yeah. busier still in the weeks ahead. A bit quieter this week. This and then, week's quiet and then it starts. Then it starts to pick yeah. up in there's, late Feb. There's three on Tuesday and that's pretty much it next week or Thursday. And then, yes. and then it starts. It's gonna be, it's and then gonna it's be. exciting. Exciting, but not as exciting as the markets <laughs> this week, which are really exciting before they stopped being really exciting. <laughs> so yeah, what it's got? Yeah, lots of comments, including Algie's new new uh, initiative there, which I hope other writers will start contributing to as well. I might, even do, might do one myself at some Great. point. Yeah, absolutely. Mine will be really boring. It will be about industrial policy. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is my, uh, yeah, my pet love. Yeah, lots of the personal finance fun section there. Exploring the infrastructure theme again, particularly uh, looking at PFI uh, in the wake of the Carillion collapse, which is which is a really interesting subject. Uh, lots of companies with exposure there that retail investors might uh, have have some exposure to. And yeah, it's a really interesting news stories uh, this week. James Norrington has looked at the volatility aspects of this week's sell-off. And in fact, there was a, we did a podcast this week, didn't we, Megan? Mm-hmm. On US bond yields. James talked about that with Chris Dillo and Alex Newman. And, it actually uh, preceded the, the sell-off, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was, uh, yeah, it was actually very weird timing because I think it was, we published it on Monday as the markets were starting to fall. So, uh, yeah. Well done, Megan, <laughs> new podcast editor. I, I had nothing to do with that, but thanks anyway. No, 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 no. You always take credit <laughs> where it isn't due. <laughs> never, never turn down a... a Especially a, from you. you. <laughs> Honestly, what are you like? And, and actually, a really interesting story on uh, the US shale industry. And, and actually, stage, the, uh, you know, for me, this is really mm. interesting, uh, the stagecoach story, and it's uh, essentially, essentially being taken off the uh, East Coast mainline. Yeah, I mean, do, yeah, do, all, do all these... Big contracts, um, complex contracts, encourage the over-optimist to be the winner, who then <laughs> has you, to deliver on. You wrote that last week? I have written that, yeah. <laughs> I used that as the quote last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bloody optimists. Who needs them? Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you, Algie. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, Simon, over in Kent. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week. Uh, Sage Advice actually only talks about the cover feature, uh, which is written by Philip Ryland, rounding up some uh, lessons from Warren Buffett's earliest letters. And actually... It's really good. I mean, these things get trotted out ad nauseum, but but it's really good to revisit the early ones when he was getting that that incredible investment firm established, especially in the context of this week's market sell-off. I, I did highlight a quote. Maybe, oh, go on, to, then. And, go and, on then, which, um, From Philip's piece. On forecasting by Buffett, my own investment philosophy has developed around the theory that prophecy reveals far more about the frailties of the profit than it reveals about the future. That's what you chose. Well, some, yeah, in, in terms of all, all the predictions which are being made around um, a minor correction in the markets. Very true, very true. Yeah, which is why, you know, it's, it's difficult. You're in the markets, you're expected to prophesize. Prophesize, <laughs> annihilize. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, and on that note, uh, yeah, pick up the magazine, all good news agents, sage advice, uh, lessons from the lessons of Warren Buffett, or get online and subscribe. Speak soon. 